I want to start a series this morning called Fans and Followers. And uh, I want you to understand there is a difference between being a fan and a follower of anything. Now, we use that word fan pretty globally. I know there's a lot of Ravens fans in the house. But I would say there's probably a difference between a Ravens fan and a Ravens follower. Wouldn't you agree? Fans are those, you know, they might own a jersey and bring it out, you know, on Sundays or when the team's doing really well. Fans are the ones that like to go to the party and kind of talk to everybody while the game's kind of on. They're the ones that are talking way too much at the game and they're not focusing. Then you've got the followers. You've got to watch out for them. Their entire demeanor is determined for the whole week by what happens on Sunday. You know? They're the ones that even in July are talking about the Ravens. They're following what's happening in the offseason. They're following the draft. I mean, their whole life revolves around the Ravens. And those people are really Ravens followers. Whether they win, whether they lose, whether it's a good week or a bad week, they are totally tied. And it's not just kind of this, this social, loose, connected thing. I, I plug in when it's good for me and when they make me feel good, but I'll find something else. There's a difference between a fan and a follower. I want to tell you something. There's a difference between being a Jesus fan and a Jesus follower as well. Fans and followers both believe in Jesus and probably fans and followers both think they're followers. But as we'll discover over these next few weeks, there's an absolute difference in the way that you and I treat Jesus between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. And we'll look at some of the different characteristics over the next couple weeks, and I will tell you it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable for all of us. Because I think all of us would like to say we're Jesus followers. We know that's the right answer. But maybe there's parts of our lives where we're really more fans than followers. One of the things we'll see today is, is Jesus' fans... They're into Christianity and they're into Jesus for the benefits. For how he makes them feel. For what he can offer on any given day. The promise of heaven. Blessings. Favor. The warm fuzzies. Optimism and hope. To give me something when I ask. But in those moments where I feel like I'm not getting what it is I think I want, we withdraw. We don't press in like we should. We don't follow him. Followers are not into it for the benefits. They're into it to know Jesus. Period. Followers say, I want to know Jesus. What I'm, into, what I'm into Christianity for, what I'm after Jesus for is simply to know him. And if all these other benefits come, great. But if I get no other benefit than knowing personally the one who died for me, the one who loved me enough to sacrifice his life, if all I get to do is to know him, to be near him, to spend every day knowing him, the joys and the struggles of life and sharing them with him, then that's what I want. Big difference. In fact, many of us decided to follow Jesus because of the benefits that were presented to us. Right? Sometimes we as pastors present it. Come to Jesus and your family will come back together and you'll find that spouse you've been looking for and your finances will be great and you'll have joy and optimism and everything will change. Well, what happens when two days later the bottom falls out? The invitation is come to Jesus so you can know Him and be loved and love Him and have Him in your life. Big difference. Maybe God wanted to amend that point. I'm not sure. <laughs> Big difference between a fan and a follower. I want, to, um, I want to come to a story that's always troubled me. It's in the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel in the New Testament, chapter 6. We'll read just a few verses, verses 59 through 68. 
Um, it's a tough story. It's quite frankly, it's the day that most of Jesus' disciples deserted him for good. Never came back. Let me give you the backstory. Up to this point, this is very early on in Jesus' ministry. You remember, he started kind of anonymously. He was like, he was like 30 years old. He gets baptized. And at this point, he doesn't have much of a following. It's just kind of Jesus. Then he starts calling his disciples together. So now he's got like 12 people around him. Then he starts doing some miracles. People come to him and find out he can heal. And it says that word spread by word of mouth as far as Syria, that there was this teacher going throughout all of Israel, and he could heal everybody of every kind of sickness. And the Bible says at that point that a lot of times he stayed in every single sick person that came. He healed them, every one. And he started developing a very quick following. He went viral before the internet. I want you to understand how difficult it is to communicate without phones, without mass media, without billboard, and word of mouth spread as far as neighboring nations in a very short period of time about this man. And we see just a few paragraphs before the story we're about to read that it had swelled to a point where 5,000 men plus women and children were so enraptured by hearing his teaching and seeing his ministry that they went out to follow him, not even packing a meal and just stayed there right through lunch and dinner to the point where Jesus actually performed another miracle and handed out fish and chips to everybody. Some scholars estimate there are up to 20,000 people. He went from one person himself to 12 to 20,000 in a period of what most scholars would tell you would be a few weeks. And by the end of this story, he was back down to 12 again. What in the world happened that caused that many people to disappear? Well, here we are, John chapter 6, verses 59 through 68. Title of my message this morning, When Following Jesus is Tough to Stomach. Verse 59, he said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. But some of you don't believe me because Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe and he knew who would betray him. And that could be a message in itself because here's the idea. Jesus knows which ones of us are going to betray him and leave him and he doesn't love us any less. He knows which of us won't follow through. He knows which ones of us will hurt him. But yet he welcomes us in and feeds us and teaches us and loves us just the same. Would you treat people like that if you knew they were going to do you wrong? Verse 65, then Jesus says, that's why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. And then here's this tragic verse, John 6, 66. At this point, many of his, and this next word is extremely important, many of his disciples, not the crowd, not the skeptics, not the haters, not the Pharisees, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And as they leave, Jesus turns to the twelve and asks, are you going to leave too? Simon Peter replies, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words that give eternal life. It's a tough story. Today we're going to talk about the time that the majority of Jesus' disciples quit. Let me ask you a question. And I know that there are some among us this morning, you are spiritually unresolved. You've never picked God. You've not made a decision to follow Jesus. That's okay. 
Just listen in and see where we go in this story. There are others of you that have made that decision, so let me ask that group a question. Do you know anybody personally who used to follow Jesus very closely who today isn't following him anymore? I'm related to some people like that. There's some people, there's some people in my own family who, who grew up in the same houses that my wife and I did who have renounced their faith and have adopted atheism. They don't even believe that there's a God. They used to follow him closely, and now they don't. Doesn't that grieve you? Now, regardless of what your position is on what they would call eternal security, or once saved, always saved, you can lose your salvation, we're not going there this morning. Regardless of what it is, here's the facts. Some people start off following Jesus very closely, and then they stop. It just happens. We all know people like that. We have to address this somehow. We have to address this. The fact is that not everybody who starts out following Jesus ends up following Jesus. Life happens, things happen, people change, people decide, people rethink. And for whatever reason, not everybody who starts off following after Jesus ends up there. They wander, they migrate, they desert. Maybe you're in that place today yourself. Maybe today you'd say, I haven't stopped believing in God, but I don't follow Him as closely as I once did. Friend, that's... (laughs) The path to falling away and deserting Jesus usually starts by you loving him a little less today than you did yesterday. It doesn't always happen in one big moment. Sometimes it's just a gradual cooling off over time. Maybe you're in that place this morning. You might be able to say, you know, I've not stopped believing in God. I'm still here in church. I'm, I, I sang the songs. But maybe the truth of the matter is you don't love him as much as you used to. You don't follow him as closely as you once did. The fire is slowly starting to go out or maybe it's gone out altogether. You might still believe but you've not fully devoted your life to him the way that it once was. This morning's message is not so much about how to reach those people and win them back. That's not really where I'm going this morning. It's also not about trying to settle the debate between whether I can lose my salvation or I can't. Those are things we'll talk about at some point. Not today. Here's the message. If those closest to Jesus himself deserted him, then so could I. If Jesus' very own disciples, who knew him personally, who could touch him, who could look in his eyes, who could see his beard and his hair and what he wore, they knew him. If those people were capable of deserting him, let's not think we're any better. Don't think it's beneath you and me to desert him too. We need to look closely at this story and figure out why those disciples quit how Jesus responded to those who defected on him, and ask ourselves what hope there is for us not to do the same. It's kind of offensive to suggest that any one of us could potentially desert Jesus. People get pretty militant when you suggest it. They get very defensive. I would never, I would never. Do you think any of these people planned to quit? Didn't they say things like, Jesus, I'll follow you even unto death. And they didn't even make it to the end of the night. So why are we any better? What have we learned that they haven't? How are we so much far superior to them? The truth of the matter is that the moment that we think that we'll never do it, we're most vulnerable to doing it because pride steps in and the person who's prideful should take heed lest they fall. So one of my professors in Bible college said, here's the way that you study scripture. You you read it first. If you're going to preach it, you read it and you write down every question that you have about the text. Don't answer them yet, just write them down. So using that as a framework, I want, to write, I want to just teach through a few of the questions I had when I read this passage. And we'll use that as our framework. Question number one, this is in your notes, you can follow along. And I asked this on a Facebook. What would it take to get you to stop following Jesus? What would it take? 
John 6, 66 says this. Um, As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and weren't walking with him anymore. What would it take to get you to stop following Jesus? Before we talk about them, what about you? Is there anything you can think of that will cause you, if you've decided to follow him, to stop? That's a really, that's a perplexing question because how is there a right answer to that? No one wants to say, well, it would be the following four or five things. You almost feel like you'd get, you'd get uh, you know, um, they, they, they'd kick you out of Christianity and church if you had an answer for that. They'd question your commitment. So nobody really wants to say, well, yeah, if God did A, B, C, D, or E, I'd stop following him. I, I asked, I've been asking this back and forth. Here's some of the responses I got. I won't read any of the ones on Facebook. Here's some of the ones that I got when I just asked people. I, I wrote some of them down. The only thing that would stop me would be death because then I would be with Jesus. Okay? Clever. I, it stumped me on that one. I didn't know what to say. I just that, You get an A on that. That was a good one. Um, nothing at all, another person said. Nothing else compares. Nothing would stop me from following Jesus. The third person I asked just said, I can't even comprehend an answer to that question. I think those are pretty fair responses because no one's asking us those questions. But I wonder if these disciples thought the same thing. I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll follow you even unto death. Peter said it. I'll follow you. Jesus, no matter where you go, I'll go with you. I'll follow you everywhere. I'll get to death. And Jesus said, no, you won't. Of course, Jesus didn't even expect Peter to follow him to death, did he? Never asked him to. In fact, he told him not to try. Because he knew it was beyond Peter. That's another message for another day. God doesn't ask us. Sometimes we make all these commitments for God and God's like, are you really thinking through what you're saying? You're not even capable of that. I'm not expecting you to do it. But a lot of us say, well, maybe if it was death, maybe if I was threatened, maybe someone put a gun to my head or something really, you know, really, you know, extreme. It, it, It would take that. What if God struck my whole family dead? Then maybe, guys, I think it would take a whole lot less than that for many of us to withdraw a little bit. I think it would take a whole lot less than that. At some point, Nearly every one of Jesus' disciples, even most of the 12, even though they didn't turn back today, most of them turned back eventually. You have this crowd of 20,000, Jesus preaches a message they don't like, and most of them desert him. At the end of the story, we've got the 12, but fast forward that. Of those 12, you had another one that defected a little bit later named Judas. When Jesus didn't turn out to be who he wanted him to be, then he sold him out. Okay? Then there was 11 left, right? Then Jesus goes to the garden, and he gets arrested. Peter cuts off an ear, you know, fantastic, you know, great job, Peter. You know, why'd you start with the ear? You really wanted to do something, you know. But, you know, Peter does his thing. All the disciples desert Jesus except Peter, right? The other ten just bolt. They desert Jesus. They go hide out and lock doors and windows because they're scared. And you got Peter, and he goes even a little farther, and then he deserts Jesus. And when he hangs there on the cross, that's it. All of them came to a point. Do you think any single one of these disciples said, you know, Jesus, I just want to be a fan? No, they all probably got into this thing. I'll follow you wherever you want to go. They didn't get into this thinking they were going to quit. So I have to ask myself the question, what would it take to get me to stop following Jesus? And I've really thought about this. Here's my answer. It's three words. Nothing. I hope. I hope that there is nothing that would convince me to stop following Jesus. And I don't just mean completely retreating and saying that he doesn't. I mean withdrawing from Jesus. Because you can still believe in God and not be following him. Hello? I don't want to be that. And I hope that there's nothing that would move me in that direction. But I, not, I ought not be so proud to think that somehow I'm immune to that. I better be very aware of the things that I'm going to experience in life and how it can affect the way I view God and my faith. And so do we. Echo, we need to be aware of these things. 
I've witnessed far too many seasons of defection in 14 years as a pastor. I've seen seasons where people flock into church and I've seen seasons where they flock out. I've seen seasons when people who have been tested fail. When those who have been offended by somebody or someone or something leave. And those who gave up when the going got tough. But do you know what the truth is? I've never yet met somebody who walked away from Jesus because of threat of persecution or death. Now, those people are out there. I've just never met anybody. Most of the people that, I've, that I know, that I've experienced, who walked away from Jesus, walked away from far less than persecution and death. It was typically because someone said something to them they didn't like or made a decision they didn't agree with. It took far less. It took far less than death and persecution than having calamity strike their family. It took far less. Friend, don't think that you will never be enticed to give up your faith. Don't let your pride tell you that you're above having your commitment to Jesus tested. You will be tested. Life will toss you around and leave you confused. It'll leave you frustrated. It'll leave you speechless. So will church. Church will disappoint you. Church will let you down. Church, this doesn't sound like a real popular, hey, come to Echo. We'll let you down. No, that's not our new byline, you know. <laughs> come to our church. We're all right, you know. We're an okay church. But no, I'm just being honest. That's not an excuse for us to be sloppy. That's not an excuse for me. I'm going to give you my very best as your campus pastor, Jesus. I'm going to give you my very best. Our teams, our leaders are going to give you their very best. But listen, we're going to let you down at times. We're going to disappoint you. We're imperfect. Our church can't be the end-all, be-all for everything. We're trying to do the best we can. Church will disappoint you. Church people will hurt you. Nobody in this room, but to other church people at other churches. <laughs> no, let's just be real. It happens. A lot of us are scarred more by Christians than non-Christians. So does that mean you're going to stop following Jesus when it happens because he let you down? You're going to withdraw from him a little bit? Don't think it's beneath you. You might feel strong this morning because you're not walking through it. When you walk through it, you may think a little bit differently than you do in this moment. Second question I had was this. What caused so many of those disciples to abandon Jesus? Why did they quit? We get this little clue in verse 66. It says, as a result of this, or from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Before I answer that, underneath here I had a little question. This is not in your notes, but I have to. Who were the quitters? There's one word we get. It didn't say from this time his haters turned back. You know, there were haters that were around Jesus all the time. They weren't there because they liked him. They were there because they hated him. And they were trying to trap him. They were trying to kill him. It wasn't the haters that turned back. It wasn't the skeptics who listened closely to Jesus' teaching and had serious doubts. It wasn't them who turned back. It wasn't just random people in the crowd who were there for the free fish and chips in the show. It wasn't the needy people who came from far away to get to Jesus so he could heal them and then they went back and resumed their new normal lives. It wasn't them. This is not who John is saying turn back. And John, the writer of this, was a disciple himself. He says the people who turned back and abandoned Jesus in this moment were disciples. They were committed followers of Jesus. I get asked a question a lot of times by, by two of my friends who are not believers at all. They're, they're skeptics. And they ask me if follow, and they, they know the Bible very well, m better than most of my Christian friends. 
they asked me this question, if following Jesus is so great, then why did most people who follow him end up quitting? That's a great question. If following Jesus is so great, if it's so easy, if it's so simple, if it's so wonderful, why did most of the people I read about in the Bible quit on Jesus? And why did most of the Christians I see today withdraw from him whenever things don't go their way? It's a very fair question. Why? Why'd they do it? These, were the pe- these weren't just the crowd. These people who quit were people who stayed after the crowds went home. These were the ones who assisted Jesus in ministry. This was his inner circle. These were his closest friends, his leadership team. Jesus taught them. They didn't have a pastor. They had Jesus himself. He ate with them. He prayed with them. He mentored them. And yet, they deserted him and didn't follow him anymore. So I ask again, what was the cause? We know who it was. Why'd they do it? What caused many disciples to abandon Jesus? It certainly wasn't because Jesus spoke meanly to them. It wasn't because he abused them or mistreated them. It wasn't because he lied to them. It wasn't because he led them astray. It wasn't because he stopped paying them what they deserved. In this case, it was his lesson. It was his teaching. It was his doctrine. He simply, if you read the story right before this, here's what happened. The day before, right, he... He teaches all day long and he does miracles and they're hungry. And so he does another miracle and he's feeding people fish. He's feeding people bread. He's doing miracles. He's giving out and giving out and giving out and giving out. The next day they show back up, right? And today there's no food, no breakfast. Today there's no miracles. There's just a sermon. And he says, you all came to me looking for a meal. You came here looking this morning for what I could give to you to make your bellies full and make you feel better. Well, today I just have a lesson. You're looking for bread. I am the bread. You're looking for a miracle this morning. I am the miracle. And if you want to have part with me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's not just about filling your belly all the time. And they said they were so offended by this that they left and deserted him. You know why? Because they came to Jesus expecting him to have something to give them today. And when they didn't get what they wanted, they deserted him. I wonder if we're any different. I didn't get anything out of that today. Hmm. That message didn't mean anything. The worship didn't do anything for me. I've been praying for six months and I haven't got what I wanted. I tithe and I'm still struggling. I'm not getting from Jesus today. He says, here I am. I'm here. Me. That's what you get. Me. We don't want that. We want all the benefits. I don't want to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Is he a cannibal? That's what they were asking. This is just, you know how offended they were? Let me show you in three different translations, three different interpretations of that verse by three different translators how offended they were. Let me read it to you. Um, In the New American Standard Version, they said this after they heard his teaching. They say, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? In the message, it says this. This is a tough teaching, too tough to swallow. Hence the title of my message. Then in the Amplified, the Amplified Bible is where they took everything in the Greek and they wrote it out in as many words as it took in English to get the full meaning of all the Greek words. This is a hard and difficult and strange saying, an offensive and unbearable message. Who can stand to hear it? Who can be expected to listen to such teaching? So what caused them to abandon Jesus? One possible answer is that they came to a place where following Jesus' teaching was just too difficult, too tough to swallow, too strange, too offensive, or too unbearable to continue on. And isn't that what really causes most of us to withdraw from Jesus? We just get to a place where it's like, this is just too tough. This is too offensive. This is too, I am too offended. This is just too strange. This is unbearable. You might not say it of Jesus. You might just say it of life. This is just too tough, too strange, too, and I'm just going to withdraw from Jesus. That's the solution to everything. 
I'll just step back. I've been chewed up and spit out by church, so I'm going to withdraw from Jesus. It's just too offensive to continue on. I've been hurt for the last time. You know what? All through the Bible, you find people who had it just as difficult, if not more so than us. Let me get, I had four in my notes. Let me give you two real quickly. In the Old Testament, there's this guy named Jacob. Heard of him? Had a brother named Esau? Jacob found the woman of his dreams that he wanted to marry. Right? Rachel. And in order to marry her, he had to strike up a deal with his uncle, Uncle Laban. And, he's, and, and Laban said, listen, I will give my daughter Rachel to you to be your wife, if and only if you work for me for seven years. And at the end of seven years, you can marry her. You know what, Jacob? He does the honorable, honest, upright thing. He wants this girl so bad. He works for, I had to work for four years for Kendra. He had to work for seven years. <laughs> he had to work for seven years. And he did. He did the right thing for seven straight years. Seven years. That's a long time. You know why? Because he wanted to marry this girl. Gets what? He gets to his wedding day. He gets to, you know, gets my version. He gets down there to the altar. I know that's probably not how they did it back then. The story's a little, but for sake of time. He gets in there and they pull a switcheroo on him. Uncle Laban doesn't give him Rachel. He gives him his other daughter that he didn't want. You think following God was easy for Jacob? He says, God, I did exactly what I was told to do. I worked for seven years. We had an agreement and a contract. And here's what I expected out of life. And I did everything I was supposed to do. And I did it the right way. And I got the opposite of what I wanted. I got the opposite of what was promised to me. This is an injustice. This is wrong. You think he was really excited about following God? And you know what? We run into the same thing. We expect God to do certain things if we follow him for us. We expect prosperity, all the bills to be paid off. We expect people to treat us right, our kids to come home, our marriages to work. And we do all the right things, and if it doesn't pan out the right way, it gets difficult, doesn't it? It doesn't preach real well. But you know what he did? He said, this isn't, wasn't the arrangement. Laban says, if you'll work another seven years, then I'll give you Rachel. Well, fool me once, man. Look, if I give you seven years, I'm not going down that road again. You know what he did? He probably said what Peter said, well, what are my other options? If this is what I want and this is the path to go, he worked another seven years and ended up with her. Look, we all run into stuff like that that's difficult. Life's going to throw you curveballs. Are you going to withdraw from Jesus when it happens? Are you going to press through? What are your other options? You know, you, we could talk about Moses. We want, let's talk about David for just a second. David, and we talked about him a few weeks ago. David made a decision to take a wife that he shouldn't have. And we won't go through that whole story this morning. But he takes Bathsheba to be his wife and she gives birth to a son. His son is sick right from birth and david is torn up about this some of you as parents as a mom or a dad it's hard to see your kids sick very hard we're talking about an infant here his son is sick so david starts fasting and praying he stops eating entirely he he puts himself in isolation he cries out to god god please spare my son probably started cutting all kinds of deals if you take care of my son i'll do this if you do He is just pouring out his heart. He's fasting. He's praying. He's pleading with the only person he knows can intervene to heal his son. He's praying for a physical healing, a miracle in his family. You know how the story ends up? His son dies. Despite all his prayers, despite his fasting. You want to talk about offensive? Tough to swallow? How do you ever recover from that? You don't. You get better. You learn a new normal. And you somehow move forward. Some of you have been through life tragedies even worse. 
you don't ever really fully recover. You get healthy. You get holy. What did David do? He gets up. He leaves the room. He comes out and says to his servants, make me something to eat. He washes his face and his hands. He sits down for dinner. The servants say, king, can we ask you a question? While your son was in there, sick and dying, you were fasting and praying. You wouldn't eat. Now your son dies? The first thing you want to do is eat? How can that be? And here's what David says. There's nothing I can do to bring my son back to me, but I can live in such a way that I can go to him. Wow. Life was tough for him. It was tough to swallow. Following God was extremely difficult to David. I don't know tragedy like that in my own life. But here's a man who said, life got difficult, life got tough. He didn't have any more answers than you and I did, but here's what he said. I will not withdraw from God. I will live my life in such a way that I can go to my son. I can't undo my past and I'm not going to lay it at God's feet. I'm going to take personal responsibility. You know what I can do? I can live in such a way that I'll see my son again in heaven. Friends, we're all going to run into things that are going to make life difficult, tough to swallow, offensive and hard. We have a choice in that moment to give up or to tunnel through it. They all found a way. Here's what Jesus said. He didn't say, come to me and in life you'll have no trouble. Jesus said, in life you will have trouble. But trust me. The Bible doesn't say no weapons will ever be formed against you. The Bible says weapons will be formed against you, but they won't prosper. There's a difference between being a fan and a follower. Fans desert when trouble shows up. Followers cling to Jesus. Question number three. We'll hurry to close here. (laughs) I I have fun with this question. I'm sorry, I just wrote it down. Maybe this is not a question I should ask. Why didn't Jesus chase after the quitters? This is a really messy question. Because we paint this picture of Jesus that the moment that I walk away, he chases me down behind every highway and every byway. And if I desert Jesus, don't worry, he will track me down. I've heard great messages preached about that idea of Jesus, that if we follow him and at some point we decide to desert him, he will just, he will run after me and not let me go. That's not what happens here. It's interesting. He didn't, when he sees Hundreds, maybe thousands of people deserting him. He doesn't run in front of them and say, wait, guys, oh my, did, I, did I offend you somehow? Wait, 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 wait. And like block the door and say, no, let's make this right. He lets them go. In fact, in the New Testament, you see this incredible pattern emerging for how Jesus treats people who desert him. Jesus told a story about this, the, the prodigal son, right? And one of the sons, he, in the story... You know, the fa- it's about a father and two sons. And the father represents God and the sons represent us. And there's a story where the one son says, Dad, I don't want to be living here anymore. I want to go off and do my own thing. I want to desert you. Does the father in the story talk him out of it? He finances his trip, doesn't he? If you need to go, then go. Here's your inheritance, you go. Interesting. How about Judas? Did Jesus say, Judas, listen, I know you're going to betray me. I want to talk you out of this. Don't. You know, don't don't go sell me out. Listen, what did he say? Go ahead and do what you have to do. He let him go. It's interesting. Even the story of the lost sheep. Well, we say, well, the lost sheep. Jesus went out. The lost sheep is not a story about how Jesus treats defectors. It's a story about how Jesus treats those who who he paid the right to have that aren't in the fold. It's about him going after the lost, not the quitters. It's kind of tough to talk about, but you can't find one instance in the New Testament where Jesus chases after a quitter. 
Jesus didn't describe himself. And you might say, well, didn't, doesn't the Bible say Jesus describes himself as the one who seeks and saves the lost? You're correct. However, the lost are those that Jesus paid the price for that haven't come to find him yet. The lost are the unsaved who never tasted a relationship with Christ. There's a distinction between the lost and those who quit, those who deserted, those who withdrew. Jesus is not a hunter who captures sheep and imprisons them in a cage too high for them to escape. He's a shepherd who seeks us with his love. And should we choose to leave, he lets us go, but he waits and watches for us so he can welcome us home the moment we decide to return. Two things I learned from this passage. One, you see, Jesus chases the lost, but he waits for the quitters. Doesn't mean he doesn't care. There's a difference. The prodigal son story, the father waits and watches the moment for his son to peek his head up over the hill. And when he does, he runs to him, doesn't he? Even when Judas came back after betraying him, Jesus received him. Jesus doesn't chase after us when we withdraw from him, but he doesn't cut us off either. He waits for us. He waits for us to return. Isn't it interesting, even with, even with Peter, Peter betrayed Jesus. You know what, how Jesus, he just cooked him breakfast when Peter came back around. Made him breakfast. Friend, you might have withdrawn from Jesus this morning. You might have withdrawn from Jesus a long time ago. Jesus is just waiting for you. He might not have tracked you down. He might not chase you down. He's just waiting for you. He's not waiting with a lecture. He's not. Not with an I told you so lesson. Not with a PowerPoint and handouts. He's just waiting for you. With breakfast. With a hug. I mean, the prodigal son with the, with the feast, with the, he, just, he just wants you back. Not for the benefits, for him. That's the benefit. Second thing I learned from this is that God doesn't quit on us, we quit on him. If there's quitting that happens, it's not because God suddenly fell off his throne and stopped being God. It's because we made a decision to give up and withdraw and desert. I wonder why Jesus even asked his disciples the question, you don't want to leave too, do you? Why would you even throw that out there? If he thinks they're thinking it, why encourage them? He watches all these other guys leave. And rather than stop them, he turns to the twelve and says, do you want to leave too? In that moment when he asked the question, he was giving them tacit permission to do it if they wanted to. He was essentially saying, if you want to leave, you can leave. Do you want to? Don't stay here because you think that you're not allowed to leave. You're very much allowed to leave. And if you want to, then leave. You know why he said that? Because Jesus always wants his followers to be there because they want to be there. He wants following and discipleship to be voluntary, not mandatory. He doesn't want to imprison us and chain us to him and we can't leave. If you, here's the idea. If you want to be with me, then you may stay. If you want to go, you may go. It is your choice. But if you want to quit, don't think it's because I'm pushing you out. It's because you make a choice and you have to own it. Friend, if you've withdrawn from Jesus, stop blaming other people for it. Stop blaming your old pastor or your new pastor or your church or your friends or your parents. At the end of the day, those might be contributing factors, but you made a choice. You made a choice. God didn't push you away. People didn't drag you away. That's a sorry excuse and it won't hold up. I've got to tell you, you have to choose to come to Jesus. You can't, I can't pray you into heaven. You've got to make that choice. And you have to choose to stay with Jesus. He's not going to trap you and not let you out if you decide you want to do your own thing. That's just not the way that he operates. 
But he will never quit on you. His love will never fail you. He won't forget about you. He won't stop forgiving you and giving you grace and mercy. But if there's quitting that happens in this relationship, it's not because of God. Because sometimes we think God quit on us. You just have to look closely. Last question I ask is, why didn't the 12 quit? Why didn't the 12 quit too? He said, you don't want to leave too, do you? They heard this really tough message. They didn't get fed that morning either from what we can tell. They really had no, nothing different from the other disciples that quit. They didn't know what Jesus was talking about when he said, hey, eat my flesh and drink my blood and you can be with me. They didn't have any idea what that meant. They thought it was just as strange as the other guys. He says, you want to quit too? Here's what Peter says. Lord, where else will we go? Where else will we go that we have this? Essentially what Peter's saying is, look, you have the words of eternal life. You haven't given me an answer to your sermon, Jesus. You didn't feed my belly this morning. But if I leave, you know what I don't have is I don't get to see you anymore. There is no other Jesus out there. There might be other places where I... I mean, they had good jobs. They could go back and pick up their... They had skills. They could always go back. They had plan B's, C's, D's, and E's. They had family that they could go back to. You know what they lost if they left? It wasn't the... It was Jesus. You see, if you build your relationship with Jesus on His benefits, the moment that you don't get them, you'll withdraw. You build it on your relationship with Jesus, you'll never, never withdraw because that's the one thing that's keeping you there. What are you in this for? The promise of heaven? Optimism? Some wisdom? Some good feelings when you need them? Friendship? The, the joy you get from being part of a church and doing volunteer work? Those aren't bad things. Those are good things. But guess what? They're not constants. And if you build your relationship, try and build a marriage on stuff like that. Well, I married my husband because how he, how he looked when we were 21. Well, guess what? <laughs> then the moment he gains weight and loses his hair, you'll look elsewhere. Right? Because of the life that, because, I, I, because of the life that, that, that he or she could provide for me. Well, guess what? When times are tough financially, guess what's going to happen to your marriage? I see it happen, guys. I see it happen. You've seen it happen. You know, you're different at 30 than you were at 20 and 40 than you were at 30 and 50 than you were at 40. You build relationships on who you were 30 years ago and on the benefits that they brought with you at that time, that relationship's not going to last. Now, the difference with God is that God is a constant. God is constant. But life isn't. You build it on how he makes you feel at any one given moment. The moment you don't feel that way, you won't stay attached to him anymore. Peter said, where else are we going to go? They had no better options. That's my question to you. Well, I'm withdrawing from Jesus. Well, what are your better options then? List them all. What's your better option than staying with Jesus? They had no better options. Because none of them included Jesus. They could have made more money. They could have had more friends. Life could have been more comfortable. Maybe. But they didn't include Jesus. It was that personal relationship and connection they had to Jesus. When they went to bed, he was there. When they got up, he was making breakfast. When they were out working, he was beside them. When they had questions, he was there to listen. And if they separated from Jesus, they didn't have that. And that's what kept them there. The other disciples were willing to give up Jesus because he wasn't offering the benefits. 
Jesus, the relationship with Jesus was not enough to keep them there because they never tasted of who he was. I wonder how many of us have been following Jesus for a while and don't even really know him all that well. You can't crave what you don't taste. The second reason why I think that they didn't quit is because they did more than believe Jesus. They knew Jesus. Verse 69 says, we have come to believe and to know that you're the Holy One of God. Belief is largely a matter of our knowledge, our intellect. It's a cerebral thing. Peter says it's not just that we believe who you say you are because everybody who deserted probably believed that you are who you say you are too. We've come to know you. Take everything else away. (laughs) Jesus, we're friends. Why would we back out on you? The key to you staying with Jesus is to get to know him. Period. The key to us not deserting him is to know him that much that no matter how much your belief system is challenged, that your circumstances are challenged, that you have something that connects you to Jesus in personal, intimate relationship form, that you say, I'm not willing to withdraw from him. My life depends on the relationship I have with him, not on what he does for me. Now, if you don't listen too carefully to what I'm saying this morning, you think that I'm I'm kind of undermining all the blessings and benefits and favor and all the things that God, I'm not doing that at all. What I'm telling you is if you just base it on that, there's going to be seasons where you might not see it and you're going to doubt God and withdraw. It's just going to happen if it hasn't already. You pray for someone to be healed and they don't get healed. It goes the other way. You do the right thing at work and you're not rewarded for it. You get blamed for something you didn't do and God doesn't straighten it out, at least to the point that you see it now. Your marriage didn't come back together even though you tried. You didn't find that person you were looking for and the person you thought it was hurt you. And you thought that following Jesus meant all those things coming together, all the benefits that we hear. So what do we do to make sure that that we don't follow that same path? Well, first of all, we have to humble ourselves enough to say it could happen to me and I better know myself very well. Pay close attention to those things. Another thing that you can do is don't try and do this Christ thing all by yourself. It's hard to withdraw from Jesus when you've got people around you who know you and care about you. When they see you start to drift, they bring you back to center. And when you're in a good place, you can be that person looking out for other people. Next Sunday, I'll be able to stand in front of you and talk to you about a few small groups that we have here at Echo. They're going to be opening up again in February. Different groups of us where you can come together at some point during your week with other people that are, you know, that other people that are here at our, at our church. Some of you are plugged into small groups at Trinity. That's fine. Please keep going to those groups. That's awesome. We're going to have just a couple, two or three, that we'll start here in the area. It'll give you a chance beyond Sunday morning to come together with other people to study the Bible in somebody's house, together with other leaders, to talk to each other, to build strong friendships and make sure that you're staying together on this Christ walk thing and that you have some place to plug in to, to give you that sense of stability and consistency that we need to not waver when things get tough. When things get tough, we're very vulnerable to wandering. We don't want that to happen for you. So it gives you another place, gives you another place to plug in. But the last thing that I'd leave you with this morning is if you know, what, you know where you're at this morning. If you know that you've wandered and you've withdrawn from Jesus, you're probably already thinking about what's going to be different in your life this year over last year. Here's your opportunity. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus hasn't quit on you. He hasn't deserted you. He's waiting for you. He's welcoming you. He wants to invite you back to him to get to know him even better in a personal way. So that you'll see even when life is difficult and tough to swallow and strange and offensive and you can't understand what's going on. You can say, I'm not going to withdraw. I'm going to find a way to tunnel through. Let me pray over you this morning. Jesus, this is a tough word for all of us. 
for all of us. God, I know in my own life there have been seasons, seasons of my own life. There have been seasons in my life where I didn't, I just drifted. I withdrew. Because you didn't make sense and I didn't think you were being fair. Things didn't pan out the way that I thought to. I had done things right and had done, <laughs> I'd gotten all my ducks in a row and did everything I thought you taught me to do and it still didn't pan out that way. And God, I, I can read myself into this story too. But I thank you that out of that season, I decided to not go after your benefits and not just limit myself to only chasing after your promises even though I know I can depend on them. I started figuring out what it meant to really make myself vulnerable to you and get to know you personally. To understand you better. To understand you valued me a lot more than I valued myself. And I start viewing myself through the lens that you looked at me and not myself and not to be so hypercritical. And it was that love and that unconditional acceptance and mercy and grace that continues to wash over my life. That has been the glue that's kept you and I together. Lord, I pray that over all of us this morning. God, you know why we're here as Echo Church. We want to be able to somehow connect with people who are, who are not in a church, who don't know you, who have been hurt, who have been marginalized, who might have been forgotten about, that live within the shadow of this high school and move them into some type of relationship with you. But God, you have to start with us first. So Jesus, I pray over any person who's here this morning who knows that they've stepped back, that they've withdrawn, they might not have full-on deserted you, but they could honestly say, I do not follow God as closely as I once did. The fire that used to burn bright in my heart has just has, has really dwindled down. Lord, in the moment when they turn their glance to you right in their seat, I pray you just flood back into their heart. Let them feel the res restoration of fellowship and connection. In fact, if you're here this morning and you know you are not living right with God, but you want to make that decision today, you can pray a prayer that I prayed when I got saved. It's something like this. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've lived life my own way. Please forgive me for that. I know I've sinned. I've disappointed you. I've fallen short of the standard that you set for all of us. But today I want to make a change and I want to do it through relationship with you. So I invite you into my life. I invite you into my heart. I surrender control of the decisions of my life to you and I commit myself to following God. Whether it's difficult and tough or in the times where it seems comfortable and easy, I want to follow you regardless because anybody that loves me that much is somebody I want to know personally. Help us, God. Help us be the people you've called us to be. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you made a decision this morning... If you made a decision this morning to follow after Jesus, if this is the first time you made that decision, or you've withdrawn a little bit and today you're making a decision to really press back in, on your Connect card, that's in your sermon notes, on that Echo Connect card, there's a place where you can write your name and you can turn it over on the back and there's a place where you can say, I made a decision to follow Jesus today or I made a recommitment. I've withdrawn, I've deserted, I'm coming back and I'm going after it full force. I want to know Jesus better than I ever have before. Would you do me a personal favor as your pastor and just take a moment, if you made that decision this morning, to fill that in?
Maybe you have a prayer request that didn't come to your mind earlier, but now you do. Would you do me a personal favor? One of the great joys of my life is praying for you and with you and walking with you through those practical things in your life so you don't feel like you're alone in it. I pray over those things every week and I follow up and connect with, with all of you that are kind enough to, to say this is who I am and this is what I'm going through in my life. That's what we're here for. We're here to do this thing together because there's going to be weeks where I'm going to say, I need you all to pray for me this week. You know, and so, you know, I want to be able to reciprocate and do the same for you in return. So if there's something going on, take a moment to fill that out. Our ushers are coming. We're going to receive our offering. And as we give this morning, you can put those completed connect cards in there. Okay. You might say, well, pastor, I don't have an offering to give this morning. I have a prayer because I don't have an offering. That's okay. Put your prayer request in there. You don't have to give an offering for a prayer request. Put your prayer request in there. We want to pray with you and pray over you. Okay. I know there's some of you that are going through some real challenging times in your jobs. And so as we pray for our offering today, here's I want to pray for those of you that are really struggling. Some of you have money that your job owes you that they're late on paying you. I want to pray that that comes in for you this week. Okay. Some of you have had promotions that have gotten hung up. And a lot of us have a lot less in our paycheck this week than we did a couple weeks ago. But you know what? God knew that was coming. God knew that was coming. He's still on the throne. He can help us figure out what to do and how to recalibrate. I want to pray, pray God's favor and blessing over your finances this week. Jesus, nothing surprises you. You are sovereign. You see it all. You know it all. Lord, I ask for your favor over the lives of those in this house this morning that claim you as their Lord and Savior, that are owed money that's not come their way yet. Lord, I pray that somehow you get involved in the system Clear out the channels and make sure those that are owed money have what they need to be able to do what they need to do with it. That's not too far beneath you. You can handle that. I also pray for those who, who are having difficulty on their job. They've been de- denied promotions or raises or, or opportunities that are to come their way. Lord, I pray that you open up their mind, give them creative wisdom to understand which is their part and which is your part. Give us the courage to ask the questions that need to be asked, to investigate answers that we need to find, and to knock and, and pursue opportunities that might be in front of us to see your will unfold in our lives. For those that want to give that are unable to give this morning, I pray that you hear that prayer of their heart and be a generous God to them and make it possible for them at some point in the near future to be able to give in the way that their heart really wants to be able to give. It's not like you to deny givers the opportunity to have gifts to give. We love you. We trust you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you give this morning.